0: Amen. Thank you, Andrew. Evening, everybody. If we could have the first slide up. Thank you. So um, we learned this week, didn't we, uh, of the death of Stephen Hawking, one of the most brilliant minds of our time and possibly uh, throughout humankind. Uh, Stephen Hawking was diagnosed with motor neuron disease uh, when he was just 20 years old. And he was given only uh, two years to live, that was the prognosis, and yet he died this week at the age of 72. And we're thinking about perseverance, aren't we, tonight? And um, undoubtedly, Stephen Hawking lived a life of perseverance um, through the the physical difficulties that he faced. Um, He persevered um, and made some amazing uh, scientific discoveries. We're thinking about perseverance tonight in this chapter 10 of Hebrews and if you, uh, yeah it's a good idea to have it, have it open because we'll be uh, maybe jumping around a little bit. If you were here last week or listened online uh, like I did uh, to Tim Swain's talk, um, Tim was talking on Hebrews chapter six um, and uh, there the writer of Hebrews was urging us, if you remember, to grow up um, Tim reflected on Job as an example of uh, someone who modeled patience, someone who listened to God, who trusted to God um, and uh, therefore grew in maturity uh, in Christ. And so, uh, Tim suggested Job was a good model uh, of somebody to help us, to inspire us, to grow up and be mature in Christ. And the intervening chapters, you'll notice, we, we're kind of jumping onto chapter 10 tonight, so we're skipping a bunch. Um, they get a bit technical around uh, the person and the nature and the role of Jesus. And it's all good stuff. And, and please go and, go and read it in your own times. Um, but we're just, uh, we're just gonna skip ahead to chapter 10 tonight and have a think about what the writer uh, of Hebrews was saying to the people who was writing to at the time uh, and also to us. And in our passage tonight, the writer um, frames three exhortations. So an exhortation is just something that means uh, the writer is urging us to do something. So he frames three exhortations using the words, let us. And as you glance through, you can probably see what those three let us statements are. And so within those, I'd like to pose you three questions tonight. And after I've done that, I'm just briefly going to talk about sticks and carrots. So the first question is, I think I'm in the way of a pillar here, there we go. For what do I yearn? And these are questions that I'd like you to ask um, ask yourself. Um, for what do I yearn? So when we think about following God, um, it's often given in terms of a right belief followed by the right personal desires and actions. So to live from the head and from the heart Um, to yearn for the right things. And the call to love God with all of our hearts is peppered throughout scripture. So one of the most famous, uh, the most well-known verses that encourages us to do this, is found in Deuteronomy chapter six, uh, which says, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. Psalm 27 verse eight says, my heart says of you, seek his face. And Jeremiah 29 verse 13 says, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. So all throughout scripture, we urge to follow God, not just, uh, not just with our lips, not just with our actions, but with our hearts. But we've got a problem, haven't we? Perhaps the biggest problem of our lives, perhaps the biggest problem of the human race throughout eternity. And that problem is our hearts are not, what or where they should be and again scripture tells us about this as if uh, as if we need to be told psalm 51 verse 10 create in me a pure heart o god so our hearts are in need of cleansing our hearts are in need of surgery deuteronomy 30 verse 6 says the lord your god will circumcise your hearts so that you may love him with all your heart and with all your soul and live and our hearts are deceitful. Jeremiah 17 says, um, the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? Like those weeds choking the the new growth uh, from the seed that is planted in the parable of the sower. Our hearts yearn time and time again for the wrong things in life. They yearn for the things that crowd out God's voice uh, and crowd out our love for God and our hearts elevate inferior substitutes to the number one place in our lives. And that's the biggest problem. And ultimately uh, we end up elevating ourselves and our own uh, perceived needs to that number one place in our lives. That is the root of sin. When we put ourselves as number one um, and put ourselves in the place of God and everything else uh, spills out of that. But to draw near to God, as this passage says, must be done with a sincere heart, a heart that is honest and true and free from guilt, as this says here. The writer here talks about our hearts being sprinkled and our bodies being washed. And that brings to mind the purification rituals of the Old Testament. Uh, it's probably not talking so much about baptism, uh, but just about this need to be, uh, to be pure and to have a sincere heart. So the first step to entering through a relationship with God uh, is always to acknowledge that we've fallen short. It's always to realize our own sin, to realize our separation from God, to confess that, and then to accept Jesus's uh, sacrifice and the grace from God that that brings. God sees our motivation and he sees our commitments. He knows if our hearts are sincere. Our hearts must be genuinely pure and committed to God. <clears throat> Some years ago, uh, somebody prayed for me. um, And as they were praying, they prayed that I would have a a clean heart, a clean mind and clean hands. And that heart bit is absolutely crucial um, because the heart is the root of everything that is visible in our lives, the root of uh, our words and our actions. And we we can fake it, but we can only fake it for so long before our true character and our true heart is known. but God knows our true hearts all along. So I must ask myself daily, for what am I yearning for today? Am I yearning for that intimacy with God? Am I yearning for him to teach me his ways? Or am I yearning for success and recognition in my career? More money in the bank, my daughter to develop into the person uh, who I think she should develop into. Um, Aston Villa to secure promotion to the Premier League, or any number of other things that, um, that call on my heart and ask me to turn towards other gods. If you're unsure about what your heart is yearning for tonight, just think, think ask yourself the question, what am I spending most of my time thinking about? And the answer is probably in there somewhere. Uh, this is my dog, Bailey, um, and uh, that's my daughter when she, was, um, when she was quite little in the high chair there. And uh, our dog, Bailey, is the model of absolute 100% um, hope and dedication when it comes to food. So you can see him there, just waiting, um, earnestly hoping that Fern, my daughter, is going to drop some food and he'll be on it like a shot. Um, if Becky and I, my wife and I were sitting in, in the lounge in the evening and uh, we're eating yeah, biscuit or whatever, uh, or there's something on the coffee table, which is at Bailey's eye level, um, he, uh, that just consumes him to such an extent that he just can't, uh, can't separate himself from the fact that he might get some food. So if there's something on the coffee table, he'll kind of pace around, he'll glance at it. Sometimes you know, he'll turn his head and try to stick his tongue out. He knows that he can't grab food when we're in the room if we left he'd be on it like a shot but you know he he doesn't just go for it so he's kind of obedient but um, it just consumes him or if I'm sitting there eating something he'll sit in front of me um to the extent that he falls asleep just staring at me waiting earnestly hoping for me to give him some food Bailey our dog I think when when I think about um unswerving hope. He is the model of that unswerving hope. He will just not let go. Can somebody sort out the screen? Thank you. Uh, So the second question I want to ask you, uh, which will come up in a minute, is to what am I committed? And we're thinking about this verse. uh, Skip on a couple. Back one. Back another. There we go. Thank you. So the, the verse there says, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promised is faithful. And we're thinking now about um, what it means to live in obedience to God. And this idea of holding unswervingly and that demands a mature response. So thinking back to what Tim was talking about last week, about growing up, about being mature. This is part of that. It's about holding on uh, unswervingly to the obstacle, uh, to, to our faith and our hope amidst a fallen world and all of the obstacles that that presents. This entire creation is rebelling against God and it can be really hard to hold on to the hope which we profess. To hold unswervingly demands a choice from us. It demands a choice to be faithful, um, but our hope is well grounded in the faithfulness of God. Romans 8, 31 to 32 says, if God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? And if you skip ahead to our passage, in our passage tonight, verse 36, it says you need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. Ultimately, we don't have the resources within ourselves to uh, stick to the goal that God has set us. Yes, we must choose. Yes, we must tighten down our resolve. We must hold on. But at the end of the day, we must also rest in the goodness and faithfulness and the resolve of a God who has promised an inheritance to his children. We're fickle, but God doesn't change his ways just as Libby prayed earlier. We swerve in our pursuits of our hearts and in our devotion to Christ, but God doesn't. God doesn't change his will or his ways praise him. So to what am I committed? And the third question I'd like to pose to you is, with whom shall I walk? Now the groups and individuals that we spend time with can have a profound effect um, and make a tremendous difference to our outlook and endeavours in life. Our peers can be so influential to our goals and to our actions. And I think this is acutely felt in a couple of places. Uh, firstly, think back to when I was at school. Um, our peers there, um, you know, we, we can sometimes feel so pressured there to conform through fear of losing friendship groups or, or being accepted um, that, um, that it can be uh, really influential, uh, potentially, uh, for, for the wrong reasons. And also I think um, that this kind of peer pressure is felt at work in the organisational environment. So, uh, you know, different organisations perhaps have different organisational cultures or or teams within a workplace Um, and through fear of, you know, not being uh, successful or, you know, not kind of developing in in that particular organisation. There's there's often the need, uh, we feel the need to conform um, and, and people around us can really influence us but also people around us can really influence us positively as well and for good. And so if we really want to go through with God, then the writer of Hebrews says um, that the fellowship of other believers is crucial. And this verse here, uh, 10, 25, um, let us not give up meeting together, is really memorable for me, actually. So <clears throat> when, I, when I graduated, uh, I did a gap year. I worked here uh, at church for a year. And um, there was another girl doing that same gap year with me. Her name was Heather. And we decided that we'd do you know, a, a quiet time regularly together to kind of pray through the things that, that we were involved in here at APC. And the first time we prayed, we, um, <clears throat> we kind of read some, some of the Bible and, and we were praying and we just waited on, on what God might be saying to us and And hebrews ten twenty five um just came into my mind um, but it wasn't the verse as we read it; it was literally just hebrews ten twenty five and at the time i didn 't know what that said and As I opened my Bible and read it, a wry smile came to my face um, as, as I thought you know we 've committed to to do these quiet times together, and here is uh you know scripture encouraging us right at this moment to not give up meeting together like this. And that that's sometimes how I find God speaks to me. He's spoken to me a few times like that before where I've just had a verse pop into my head and I don't know what it is until I read, uh, until I open my Bible and, and, and read it. So um, that's happened to me quite, uh, quite a few times, which is quite cool. And I sometimes think about um, kind of being in fellowship with other believers. Um, as like uh, kind of coals in a fire or on a barbecue. So uh, cast your mind back when the weather was nice and not freezing cold and not snowing every other week to those barbecues that you had in the garden. Uh, And you pile up your coals and you set them alight and you wait for them to get hot and they're glowing white hot and then you can put your food on. And and it's the coals that kind of, um, uh, if you pile them up, the coals that kind of fall down and go around the edges. They might stay hot for a little while but they very, very quickly cool down. It's the ones right in the middle that hold their heat, that take their heat from each other, um, that are the most effective and remain the hottest for longest. And that's just how it is with, uh, with uh, being committed to a church. It's much easier to cool down in our love for God, in our passion uh, for following him and in our effectiveness, uh, if we are not kind of grouped together with fellow believers. If we think about the community of saints, if you think back to uh, when I spoke on the church's verse for the year, I was just reflecting briefly on um, this community of, of saints that, that the, the letter of Hebrews talks to us about, uh, about the great cloud of witnesses, Christians past and present, who really encourage us in our faith. And other Christians offer us accountability and they offer us encouragement. Um, and that's one of the real strengths of being part of a church. And in particular, being part, uh, I found, of a house group. And I'd like to encourage, if you're not in a house group uh, in this church, then uh, I'd really encourage you to, to get into one. Uh, if you're unsure about where to start, without going to speak to Colin or Francis Tyne or Mark and Sue Chapman, or one of the wardens, and they'll point you in the right direction. But certainly, I found that you know, you come to church on a Sunday morning or a Sunday evening, you kind of sit through the service. You you might get a cup of coffee, have a chat to a couple of people, make some small talk, and then you're off. But it's actually being part of a house group where you uh, you meet together. Once a week or once every two weeks, you spend quality time with, with a small group of people, uh, the same group of people each time. You get stuck into the word, uh, you study the Bible together, you encourage each other, you're accountable to each other. Um, that for me is one of the, the best ways to, um, to keep uh, that passion for God Uh, on fire, like those coals in the barbecue. That's the best way, one of the best ways I think in a church uh, to to stop yourself from from being on the outskirts and cooling down too quickly. When the writer of Hebrews urges us not to give up meeting together, the Greek word that he uses um, carries the idea of abandonment or forsaking. And it's exactly the same word that translates as Jesus's cry when he was on the cross my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The writer of Hebrews uses that same word to, uh, to urge people not to abandon meeting together. Apparently some uh, in this community of Christians that uh, the writer was writing to were abandoning meeting for, together for worship. There was undoubtedly persecution which would have um, discouraged them. Uh, there might have been apathy but whatever the reason, the author definitely thought it was fatal uh, for them uh, and really detrimental to um, to their perseverance in the faith. And I just wanted to share with you um, something um, of my life over the past two and a half years. Uh, many of you here know that I'm married to Becky, we've got a daughter called Fern, um, and uh, Fern is almost three. Um, and up until Fern was born, um, you know, we've always been um, kind of part of the church family here in Aldridge and, and, and Becky at different churches be- before that. We were heavily involved in ministry here in Aldridge Youth Fellowship, and we felt it was right to, to put that down when Fern was born um, and to just focus on um, having a baby for a while and then see what God might want to lead us on to next. Um, and that, that was that 's a season, right, um, and we were prepared for that and th- that was something that, that we felt was the right thing to do um, what we weren 't prepared for was um, was actually um, kind of how hard we've we 've found it to be committed to um, to the church here uh, since our lives have, have changed with with our wonderful daughter um, and it's you know, it 's as simple as um, simply getting here on a Sunday morning which sounds as though it's the easiest thing in the world but actually since our lives have changed we found it quite difficult at times and you know the the reason is really just around you know kind of busy weeks and you know I work you know full-time Becky's gone back to work part-time for a while Uh, we're both kind of pretty knackered all of the time Um, you know kind of house groups um uh, Becky and I have since taken over leadership of a, a new house group, which is brilliant, because it means partly that we have to be there, right? Because otherwise it doesn't happen. Uh, but until kind of before that, we kind of hardly ever used to go to house group because, you know, you know, by the time we'd eaten dinner and got Fern to bed and got home from work and everything, it was like... Whew, I just want to go to bed, really, rather than going out for, you know, two hour Bible study and and all of that kind of stuff. But then just getting to church on a Sunday morning, we found quite challenging after having that busy week. And then after kind of doing, you know, jobs and stuff on a Saturday, you know, big food shop and all of that. Sunday is often the only morning where we don't have to rush to be somewhere. And we found that really challenging. And sometimes we just think, do you know what? We'd rather just this morning take our time and just go for a walk somewhere with the family. Um, and so that, that's the place that we've been at over the past couple of years or so. And it's just been really weird. Um, but I'm just, I've just been really conscious of the warnings that are in Hebrews here um, and, and elsewhere in Scripture, you know, that the, the church is. Um, is so important, and being with other Christians is really important to our own uh, to our own faith, and to persevere through that. Um, so, you might be, uh, you know, if some of you are kind of struggling with being committed then, I don't know, maybe some, take some encouragement that you're not alone. Um, but it's certainly been a challenge to me that, that we need to be committed. And actually, the more that we decide not to go to church or, or do whatever for whatever reason, the easier it becomes as time goes on to make that same decision over and over again. So so, uh, so there's a habit in there, which, which is good practice, um, but there's also perseverance and just the importance of um, being with fellow Christians and encouraging each other uh, and being accountable to each other. So uh, with whom shall I walk is, uh, is the question I'd like to, to ask uh, yourselves tonight. And as we seek to apply the, those couple of verses, we might ask ourselves as well, to whom in the body of Christ am I encouraging right now through my words, actions or presence? And am I receiving encouragement by being faithful to the body. So it's not just about turning up, it's about being intentional when we're here, when we're meeting with fellow brothers and sisters in Christ to encourage them and to strengthen them. Okay, that was what I was talking about. So uh, just a few words to finish around sticks and carrots. So if you heard my talk uh, a while ago on the verse of the church, uh, the church's verse of the year, um, you'll hopefully remember that Hebrews is a letter that is written to a discouraged group of people uh, who are thinking of giving up. And when you've got people who are thinking of giving up, um, encouragement and warnings can help us persevere when we're thinking of giving up. Uh, so encouragement, carrot, warning, stick. And here uh, in Hebrews, uh, in this passage tonight, we've got both of those things. First of all, we've got the stick. So cast your eyes down to verse 26 onwards, and it gives a harsh word of warning. If we deliberately keep on sinning after we have received the knowledge of truth, no sacrifice for sins is left, but only a fearful expectation of judgment and of raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. Now I've read that those verses a few times over the years. And every time I read them, I kind of panic a little bit because I think, is that me? You know, every time I sin, am I trampling the Son of God underfoot? And am I condemned to eternal condemnation? Have I slipped up and that's it? And I I always say to myself, no, that can't be it. Please let that not be it. So let's have a think about what the real problem might be here. What was the problem that the writer was addressing? And the writer uses the Greek word bekousios for deliberately in verse 26, which means something done willingly with a clear mind and with a firm step. So I think what we're talking about here is a deliberate sinful lifestyle in rebellion against the gospel after once accepting uh, Christ's sacrifice as the truth. The writer talks, as I've said, about trampling the Son of God underfoot Uh, And that just conveys kind of utter disdain. The person who acts like this uh, shows the lowest form of contempt for Jesus. And so it's clear, I think, that throughout uh, the Bible, um, there's definitely a contrast between um, kind of um, slipping up or unintentional sin and this deliberate sin that, um, that is talked about here in the Bible is completely turning our backs on Jesus. But what this says to me is that it is possible to fall from grace. Yes, we can say yes to Jesus and try to live our lives for him, but we can also, after making that decision, turn our backs on Jesus quite deliberately. Um, so this says to me that, that it is possible to fall from grace. The gods that our culture invites us to worship, though, are poor substitutes for the living God. Our God won't be tamed by the postmodern rejection of truth, nor by our aversion to the concept of judgment, this idea that anybody can do what they want as long as they're not hurting anybody else. But it's clear that there's great foolishness in walking away from the gospel because, and this is the reason, because God has no other way, no greater means for dealing with sin. Jesus is it. Sin was dealt with once and for all on the cross. And so if people defiantly reject Jesus, then God can't be in relationship with them. There's no other way. It's true throughout scripture that that we hear of God who is faithful and forgiving and loving and just. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just and will forgive us. God's described as being rich in anger, Um, sorry, (laughs) rich in love and slow to anger. But those who insult the spirit of grace, as we read about tonight, have denied the gospel's true origin and importance, and it has eternal implications. And at the end there, you can see that the writer uh, is kind of thinking about the Song of Moses in Deuteronomy 32, which was a warning against Israel um, through uh, by depicting God's judgment towards a faithless people who had turned their backs on his covenant. They'd made a promise with God and then turned their back on it. And I think that's what this passage is talking about this bit of uh, passage here. And just like um, Song of Moses <coughs> talking to the, the Israelite, Israelites uh, and urging them to remember their past as well as, as we see a bit further on, the writer of Hebrews here urges us to remember our past uh, by way of an encouragement. And this is the carrot. Remember those earlier days after you had received the light when you endured in a great conflict full of suffering. So what is it about our past that can encourage us? Perhaps for you, you might remember how passionate you were about following Jesus in the days and weeks and months after you first made that decision to follow him. Perhaps you might remember how faithful God has been to you in times of trouble. Uh, and again, I've shared um, in recent times of my experience of that uh, through kind of uncertainty with, with work and, and, and job security and all of that kind of stuff. And how God brought me through it. And, you know, yes, I've got a job now, but that wasn't the real issue for me. The real issue was around uh, what God was teaching me about trusting him and my identity in Christ. So maybe when you think back to your past, it might be times like that when you can remember how God has brought you through difficult times that encourages you. Or perhaps we might have organizational memories, locations or times of the year that celebrate uh, memories uh, within our church communities. For YF, for example, uh, undoubtedly uh, that would be camp uh, in the summer. For others of us, it might be new wine uh, or the church weekend away. Whatever it is, remember the past as an encouragement of God's commitment to you and you to him. The readers of Hebrews were to remember that even in the darkest times, they recalled their joy uh, in, uh, in persevering with God. The first bit of tonight's passage is the start, uh, sorry, it's the close of an inclusio that opened in chapter four. An inclusio in kind of biblical um, study terms is like uh, brackets. So the brackets were opened um, in chapter four at verse 14. I think Alan Gillian preached about that a couple of weeks ago. And here uh, we see uh, the kind of closed brackets. If you cast your eye down, um, therefore, since we have And if you compare that to the start of the passage we're looking at tonight, you'll see that there are loads of parallels. In chapter four, the writer urges us to draw near to God. And in chapter 10 now, we get the basis for that exhortation, the manner in which it is to be carried out with a sincere heart, and the means by which we may draw near to God. We're made righteous, made clean, through Jesus' sacrifice, through that sprinkling with water. The writer tells us, Uh, that we can draw near to God with confidence because of Jesus. He speaks of a new and living way that's opened for us, not an old covenant ritual. Jesus went first through that curtain that we read about at the start of tonight's uh, passage, that curtain that previously separated people from God. The way into God's presence is no longer characterized by death, but by following uh, the path of the living one, Jesus. Jesus is the best and the final answer to the problem of sin. He's incomparably greater than the Old Testament priesthood and sacrificial system. He is the ultimate reflection of what they stand for. He is the perfect priest offering the perfect sacrifice. He has removed the barrier of sin finally and given us access to God in a way that the old system just couldn't do. That was the copy. Jesus is the original pattern. To those whom this letter was originally intended for, what greater encouragement did they need to continue persevering in the face of persecution and uncertainty? They were thinking about giving up and returning to their old ways of Judaism, but the writer of Hebrews urged them to realise that if they turned away from Jesus, back to an inferior substitute, then they would lose everything. And so to us, by passionately seeking to follow Jesus, for what do I yearn? By holding unswervingly to the hope that we profess, to what am I committed? And by journeying together and encouraging each other, with whom shall I walk? We too will be strengthened in our resolve to love the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our soul, and with all our strength. And when we persevere, we will receive what he has promised. Amen.